Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, your dedicated Everton Football Club podcast from The Athletic with me, Greg O'Keefe and Paddy Boyland. On the show this week, Rodriguez and Gabam were back, but a disappointing draw with Palace. What's the identity of Ancelotti's Everton, if there even is one? And we take a closer look at the run-in. Is eighth enough for our efforts this year? You can subscribe to Athletic UK right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll get great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. There's plenty of stuff on the Everton section this week, Pad, isn't there? You know, there's from our other colleagues as well, there's content about the uh, where the goals are coming from in the top flight, how subs are being used effectively or not in Everton's case, and even um, some data on the run-in and the prediction of, of where Everton might end up in that mix. But there's just loads that we're going to refer to uh, in the show alone, isn't there, Pad? Yeah, I was I was actually just going to say I was having a little look at the feed as you were you were mentioning it then. The the piece that I really enjoyed was and I've spoken to you about this yourself, um was the piece on the smelling salts that was out to I was on the site earlier in the week. Um you wrote it and I just think that loads of people wondering what on earth those Everton players <laughs> have been doing in the tunnel before game. <laughs> I, I know like I I messaged you on the Sky Sports coverage of the uh, of the game against Crystal Palace, you could see Richarlison in the tunnel. That's right, um, sniffing away at something. Uh, and you've obviously done a, a kind of a big in depth piece on what it was and <laughs> what the benefits or or, or, or otherwise <laughs> or otherwise are of it and that, that kind of stuff. So I really really did enjoy that. Um, and obviously, it's just a little bit funny to watch them doing it as well. So so yeah, that was that was good. Um, and as ever, plenty of stuff on the site. I'm sure we'll uh, get into some of the things we've. We've written about John, John Philippe Gabamin's return, etc. Um, over the next kind of thirty minutes or so. Indeed, yes. So uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton Pod to take advantage of that forty percent discount. We do honestly recommend it's worth it. If you just get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash Everton Pod, you can see what we're all making a fuss about. Anyway, on to part one of today's show, and it's James Rodriguez's return. James Rodriguez's return. His impact was very clear on Monday evening. But Everton still only managed to draw. Fair to say the rest of the team needs to step up a level, Pat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you could almost chart Everton's demise, if you want to call it that, and yeah. link it to to when James is not available or when he's substituted off. And obviously, he is substituted off in the game against Crystal Palace. And that is basically the point where they see the momentum, where they stop being a, an attacking force themselves and effectively allow Crystal Palace onto them. 
and we, we we have seen that quite a bit recently where they've they've had a slender lead and they've sat back and they, they're just about seeing games out. We saw it against West Brom, sort of against Southampton. And the opposition had near misses in both of those games. You think you think back to the I think he had a goal disallowed at the Hawthorns, just about offside. That's right, yeah. yeah. Some very important saves late on in the game against Southampton to keep the score at one nil and protect the three points. But here, Everton were finally caught out, and uh, the issues were kind of manifold, in my opinion. You, I mean, they'd missed a glut of chances. They really should have been out of sight by the time Ancelotti made the substitutions. But I wasn't a massive fan of the substitutions either. I have to be honest, anybody that follows me on Twitter will know that I didn't particularly enjoy what we saw there. I thought losing somebody like Seamus Coleman, taking him off was was, was pretty bizarre. He'd coped well with Wilfred Zaha up to that point. I think it was a tough ask for Ben Goffrey to come on out of position at wing back and, and replicate that feat. Coleman was one of Everton's best players for my money just in terms of his his energy, his drive, how well he was defending one-on-one. Um, and maybe you're trying to manage his fitness, but would you not just give him an extra 10, 15 minutes and see if you can hold on to that quite precious three points as it would have been? And then obviously Hamas, as, as you mentioned, uh, his, his quality on the ball uh, during the game. It is, it is, and I, I've said this a lot this season, I know you have too, it is a joy to watch him in an Everton shirt because he does things that no other player in blue will get close to doing. And I think he even attempts things that no other Everton player would attempt to do. So some of the passes, the the, the, the speed with which he plays the ball, the weight, the angles he uses, um, the goal in itself, let's be honest, they missed so many chances and his was only a half chance. He had a tiny minuscule part of the post to aim for the goal and managed to put it in on his weaker foot. And that's the quality he possesses. So as soon as he goes off, that quality obviously diminishes quite substantially. And I think that was the issue. They're just they're, they're so reliant on that small select group of individuals that whenever those players are taken out of the firing line for any length of the time, they, they just suffer. They do. Um, and I thought with you, I mean, it's often this inner turmoil when you, you find after games that you feel there's a criticism of Ancelotti. And you, know, you remind yourself that he's not above criticism and often it's quite nuanced anyway. It's, he hasn't made what you would say any blatant errors. There's always mm-hmm. been mitigation and a way you can sort of see where he's been thinking. And I wrote a piece as well on, on Monday night for Tuesday on, on the site about how I know he's got a delicate task with sort of getting Rodriguez to get as mo- much out of him without overextending him. And we've seen that when that does seem to happen, we then after he drops out of the team for a few games and we haven't got him at all. So I know it's difficult, but at this business end of the season, him on the pitch as much as possible is just vital for me. Yeah, well, the, the other thing is, you're talking about defending the lead and I think it's okay to sit deep. It's okay to regress five, ten yards further back and defend your area. That That's okay. I don't know if you always necessarily need to do it against Crystal Palace at home, by yeah. the way. But if you are going to adopt that blueprint, you need to have a means... You need to have a pressure valve. You need to have a way of releasing things and going the other way or even just keeping the ball for, for for a couple of minutes, drawing a few fouls in the corner flag, creating chances. I just don't know what the plan was, to be honest, beyond defending. A lot of the time I was seeing players look up and just punt the ball forwards into space or straight onto the head of a Crystal Palace defender. And then you're having to defend once more. Mm. Players become tired. And those little errors creep in. I think it was only a, it was almost a half error from Michael Keane. He's got Batshuayi on his shoulder and he looks at the ball and almost takes a, 
a step forward. Batshuayi is gone, and it and it and it's a goal and three points, which would have been completely merited given the amount of chances they created. Slip by the wayside. They only end up with one, and everybody sees it as a as a massive disappointment. Like like you say, I just think it's a little bit too much the case that it, everything is focused through him. So when he goes off, there's almost a vacuum. There's a power vacuum where you, you look at and go, who's going to get on the ball? Who's going to dictate? Who's going to create? Um, and it, it's almost a surprise when Everton create chances when James Rodriguez isn't on the pitch. And it shouldn't be that way. That that's, That is a clear over-reliance. And I think something that needs to be identified during the summer. The mitigation, as you point out, is that he has been injured. It is about carefully nursing him through games. And I think Everton feel as though if they can get 60, 70 minutes out of him most weeks... They've kind of done their job. He'll win matches, he'll set up goals, he'll at least get Everton points. And they've tried to nurse him back to full health, but they do still need to be careful because we know he's he's quite fragile as players go. He's he's, he's much more fragile than a Ben Godfrey or a Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, so it still becomes a bit of a process, a bit of an arduous process. Everton will make real strides when they, when they can take somebody like James off and bring on a player, maybe not with equivalent quality, but somebody that is able in their own way to contribute. And I just, I don't think we're there, we're there just yet. I, I really, really don't. Um, mm. And that, that was the shame. I think again, <laughs> again, the frustration of, an, of, an, of more drop points when opportunity beckoned to get to move towards the top four. Yeah, completely agree. On on the flip side, although it was, a, it was an unusual like for like, uh, coming on for Rodriguez, which in itself was frustrating. It was still really encouraging to see Jean-Philippe Gabamon back on the pitch after all that time out, wasn't it? Um, was there much that we could read into his his cameo? He probably played longer than I expected him to, but is there much that we can read into it? I know you've been working on a piece about that. Um, too early to say much, isn't it? It is, and I'll, I'll be honest, I was a little bit surprised. Obviously, Ancelotti had said before the game that he wants to give him minutes, get him back in and up to speed quickly. But this didn't feel like the context to bring back in mm. a player that has been out for 18 months, 597 days between competitive appearances. And you're putting them in, it not when you're 3-0 up in a Carabao or an FA Cup game, which would have been the ideal context. You, you're effectively throwing them in and saying, contribute right now, block the space, make sure that we get these three points. I think that's a very tough ask yeah. for somebody like Gabamin, given how rusty he will undoubtedly have been. I don't, I don't think you can read it more. I don't really don't think you can read anything into it. And that's the problem, to be honest. Um, what were we going to get out of that beyond him just getting an extra minutes? Uh, great to see him. I've had the, the other side of this is great to see him back on the pitch at all. Great to see him um, with that smile on his face when he comes onto the pitch, bounding about seemingly free of injury at this point. Doesn't appear at this stage as though there are any real complications after that match. And I think if he, if he gets himself back and he gets himself fit, he's, he's got elements here that Everton don't possess without Abdullah Decore. So Decore is such a big miss because he provides energy, provides dynamism. He can help you travel up the ball 30, 40 metres in next to no time at all. None of the other midfielders really. Tom Davis has been good in the number six role on the whole. James's quality is there for all to see. Alan does a job in front of the back four. None of the other midfielders, though, can do, can do what Ducore does in terms of pushing them on 
And that's where Gabamon, I think, is an interesting prospect because he's he's not just the guy that's going to sit in front of the defence. One of his, his key attributes, and I've written about this in a piece that will be on site on, on Friday, is his ability to travel at pace and progress the ball forward with his dribbling. That's exciting. If he, if he can get back to the athlete he was before the injury, which is why Everton signed him, if he can get back to that, then I think um, Everton will be better for it because um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good, isn't it? It's, it's a feel-good story, and, and that's difficult given what happened on, on Monday night. It feels like a feel-good story, and I think we all kind of need a little bit of that, don't we? Yeah, absolutely, and, and I hope to see much more of him to come in recent weeks. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, if, if you do subscribe, you do have the app or, or on your on your laptop or desktop, you'll see what it did tickle me. This actually Paddy did a great piece uh, back end of last week. And it's the most perfect synchronicity between a photographer and a headline, a photograph and a headline that I've seen in a long time, actually. So thumbs up to whichever one of our sub-editors did this. The headline is, with 10 games left of his first full season, what are Ancelotti's Everton? And the picture of Ancelotti on the touchline, <laughs> mid shrug with this like sort of like comedy Italian pout on his face in profile, his lip jutting out, and it just made me laugh because it it pretty much answers the question, um, which or certainly I feel answers the question. <laughs> no one really knows who they are. Um, Pat, I say I did really enjoy this. Uh, it probably wasn't easy to write because you don't want to make sweeping assessments because there's an, there is an, an understanding that it's a work in progress. However, you know, other managers with similar time have at different clubs, I mean, certainly Everton, for better or worse, have implemented a style. Um, and I'm not sure we've seen consistent signs of that yet, have we? No, and I think if you look at Ancelotti throughout his career, one of the things that has helped him make his name is the fact that he's flexible mm. and he bends to meet the needs of his players. So if he's got Zinedine Zidane, he's not going to play a system where there's no number 10 role. That just doesn't make any sense to him. He, he, yeah. he doesn't understand it. He'll always chop and change depending on the resources at his disposal. And I think that's a good thing in some ways, but in other ways what it means is that you run the risk if players are flitting in and out, let's say as a James Rodriguez does, that you're playing multiple different systems with different personnel and you lurch between one thing and another. Now, I was looking, when I was writing this piece, I was trying to divide the season up into chunks. I was looking at the first five, six games of the season, which feel like halcyon days now, the glory, the glory days this season. And that was kind of 4-3-3, free-flowing football, 
But when that worked out and they picked up injuries, they went to something else and they've gone to a few other things throughout this season. And now I think they're all together more defensive to the point where they actually struggle without Hamez to keep the ball for extended periods of time. And I just I just think the main task over the summer and the main task in this last 10 games is to almost establish where they're headed as a team. Flexibility and versatility is great as one of the foundational qualities, but I think you need more than that. You, you know what Manchester City do, even when they change system. You know what they're looking to do. They're looking to dominate possession. They're looking to move players around the pitch. They do interesting things with their fullbacks. What's the style of this Everton side? Because they, they've they been three or four different things throughout, yeah. throughout this season. I think it's easier to recruit players, by the way, when you know what you're recruiting for, what system you're playing. Yeah, spare four for Marcel Brands in that regard, yeah. It's tough and it's 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 all well and good to go to Marcel Brands and say, I want versatile players who are really good. But <laughs> that, that's vague, isn't it? That, 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 yeah, exactly. That, yeah. Just buy me really good players. Buy me players that can play in, in multiple different positions. Just a Rafa Varane type um, at that centre-back or, a, I don't know, a midfielder that does everything. Yeah, um, off you go. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite tough as a, as, a, as a remit, that actually, because it's so vague. And I just think there's an opportunity now in the, the final 10 games of the season to maybe learn a little bit more about what they actually are. I know I know he says, he, sp- he spoke to Adam Crafton, really good interview on the athletic site last week. Yeah, it was a great read, actually. Yeah. It was fantastic. And one of the things that I noticed, I don't know about you, but he, he said that our qualities at the moment are more defensive yes. than offensive. Yeah, I think that slightly flies in the face of what he ideally would like to do. I think he would like to be a side that dominates possession. Mm. He would like to be a team that plays with gifted technical footballers. But if he's not got them, he's going to rely on what the players do well. And a lot of that is... It's the grit of a Ben Godfrey or a Mason Holgate, the aerial prowess of Michael Keane and Yerry Mina in the main. Calvert-Lewin going the other way and the crosses of Luca Dean. When James comes in, it looks really good because he connects everything together. But when he's not there, there's there's an issue and that's what we've spoken about. So I'd like to see more. I'd I'd like to see a consistent blueprint emerge. And yes, let's be flexible with game plans here, here and there. But I think it probably just needs. I'd, I'd be interested to know if you actually agree with this. But I think it probably just needs a little bit more identity in in terms of what 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 they're attempting to achieve. Yeah, no, I I agree to be honest entirely. And as I say, I really enjoyed that piece. So it, it's it's well worth a read. And I think ultimately, you, you know, everyone will have their take on whether it's that important to have a, a style or a philosophy or a system. Mm. Um, a lot of people probably don't think it is, but maybe that's becoming an outdated concept. Um, and what I wouldn't necessarily say it's vital, but I do think it speaks for itself that Everton need to develop more of an identity because more often than not, um, they're eighth for a reason and they failed to capitalize on winnable games for a reason. And that part of that for me is their lack of that purpose and identity when the uh, we've said a million times when they're expected to get on the front foot. So it'd be interesting to see if you can develop that as, as it goes forward. Um, speaking of going forward, obviously we are well and truly into the run-in now. It c- continues again, another Monday night game. I, you know, not the best for me and you, spare a thought for the journalists. We, we all complain about that again. I'm sure everyone will really. The, you know, the weekend, it's nice to have a, a match at the weekend, isn't it? Um, 
maybe maybe it's uh, it's just one of those things where we're going to have to grind out a few Monday night games. And it's Brighton this Monday. Uh, the Athletic, in the, one of the pieces we mentioned earlier, forecast us to finish eighth in the Premier League this season based on the stats so far. Of course, we are currently eighth in the table. And I suppose the question is, if, if that were to remain the case, would that be satisfactory? I'll sort of answer my own question before I pass it on to you. And I, w- I would say not. Um, I recognise it would be an improvement on last season. But given the circumstances and, and, and how we started the first half of the season or how we performed in the first half of the season, um, I think that we should... The, the target is Europa League. Uh, other, other targets have briefly and elusively appear possible like the top four. I would probably, although you can't by any means mathematically discount it, I would discount it as a realistic aim. But I would say not qualifying for the Europa League would be uh, would be a failure. What do you think? Is that harsh or would you agree? I think, I think it's really difficult because they finished 12th last season. So if they were to finish 8th, then that would quite evidently represent progress with regards to moving up the table and everything else. Four places in one season is actually pretty good in isolation. Where I think it does get difficult is the first point that you've raised there. Angelotti himself has targeted Europa League. I think he's been quite clear throughout that if this season they get Europa League, not Champions League, that will still be a good season for Everton. That's the aim. That's the main focus. Let's get Europa League and then we can progress from there. Because he set that as an aim quite publicly, and it's not just us kind of speaking to people at the club. By the way, he says it in press conferences and stuff like that. Because he because he's done that, he's almost set himself a target. And if he doesn't achieve it, it, it looks a little bit like failure. Um, so I think that that's an issue in itself. The other is that the start of the season created such expectation that anything other now than a decent position in the table, and I'm talking probably top six or seven here will feel like a disappointment to the fans. We've 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 gone so well, we went so well in the early part of the season that people had dreams of finishing in the top four and even kind of even more kind of ridiculous at times, higher than fourth. Yeah, um, you know what they did? I mean yeah, you couldn't have ruled it out at one stage with the the way the table looked. No. One 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 of the things I would say is I was I was looking at lineups per game over the course of the season, effectively with a view to how often Everton's best players, five or six best players, have lined up together this season. Mm. And we always talk about those first five or six games as being the zenith, the, the top kind of the standout football that we've seen this season. Maybe not the standout results, but the standout football. Yeah. And I I would say Everton's five best five or six best players, Luca Dean, Alan, Ducore, James Rodriguez, Richarlison and Calvert Loom. How often yeah. have those six played together this season? Well, I think it's in the I think it's four, four games we've had out of those guys. If you get them fit and firing over the course of a whole season, it's difficult, obviously, particularly difficult this season, then you're probably looking at a top six outfit. I think whenever when everyone's fit and everyone's firing, pulling in the right direction, Everton look like a top six side, potentially even higher. Yeah. But the issue is we keep going back to is for example, when Richarlison was out after the Merseyside derby, the first Merseyside derby, Alex Awobi came in. Yeah. When James is out, Gilfie Sigurdsson comes in. Actually, I think Gilfie Sigurdsson's a fairly decent deputy. But in other parts of the pitch, it's even more stark than that. When Luca Dean's out, you're playing somebody out of position. And this is the issue. They've not had their full team 
best team available for long enough this season. And it could cost them, as with the home form. It could cost them. They could end up uh, kind of finishing 8th, ninth, 10th, which after the early heights of the season will feel disappointing if that happens. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that some people suggested after the Crystal Palace game that it is season over at this point that they are doomed and destined for kind of mid-table obscurity. I think that's a little bit harsh, and I think that's probably emotional, emotional response, an overly emotional response to just the fact that Monday went the wrong way. But um, they do have the work cut out now. They do, yeah. Top four, top four seems distant. Uh, top six even seems a struggle, given the way some sides have picked up. So the, the running's going to be interesting. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Brighton away is a very, very difficult game. They'll dominate the ball. Maybe that plays into Everton's hands, by the way. But they'll dominate the ball and they'll create chances, In uh, you'd, you'd imagine. But Everton also play. They have to play Aston Villa twice. One game that hasn't been scheduled yet. Uh, they have to play West Ham. Just below them in the table, Villa as well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Villa twice, West Ham. In other seasons, you might have looked at those, not as gimmies as such, but as some of your easier matches. But because those teams have progressed so much, difficult opposition... Those Friday night fixtures we moaned about last week, Greg. <laughs> Tottenham at home are at Goodison and Arsenal away in April. Uh, they have Manchester City as well, I think. The Etihad. Um, uh, there are other opposition. There are other kind of top six teams that they have to face Tottenham still. Um, so that's, that's quite a difficult set of fixtures, really, to, 
finish the season with. So it's not it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. I now think they've got their work cut out to achieve Ancelotti's aim, and then it becomes interesting, doesn't it? Because potentially you've got a manager who wants European football but hasn't got it. Yeah, exactly. Frankly, uh, and so there's a a difference in that, isn't it? Um, in terms of ambition straight away, and I like the fact that he's not. You know, I think he would agree that it would be a disappointment not not to uh, get in the Europa League. I don't think he would be satisfied with eighth, which is heartening. There's no sort of soundbites coming out to suggest that he's already trying to, uh, you know, recalibrate the expectations. Um, and as you say, they've got the work cut out, but it's not impossible. However, these games are going to run down pretty quickly and, and performances like Mondays, like the previous game, you know, at Goodison, the previous game is Goodison Park. Failure to beat Fulham, you know, it's they're going to add up. They're going to stack up um, if they don't pull the finger out. And uh, you're right, Brighton. It might play into our hands. That's my hope for Monday. Uh, you're going to be you're going to be covering that game, aren't you? And I really hope that our fluidity and, and perhaps lack of identity can can be a, a plus on Monday night. Well, I mean that that's been the pattern throughout this season. I think that's what makes it so difficult to predict. Quite often you look at a season, you go, oh, we've got Fulham and Newcastle at home, Burnley at home. We should be taking seven to nine points out of those games. And obviously if you're Everton, you should be taking probably maximum points out of those matches, particularly if you've got European aspirations. But this season we've had a run of fixtures like that and ended up almost dreading it because, <laughs> because of the struggles in possession. The more of the ball Everton have, the more they seem to struggle to find a way through. Then the other side of that is... Over December, Everton were missing loads of players and had loads of difficult games against Chelsea, against Arsenal, Leicester. They beat Leicester away. They beat Chelsea and Arsenal at home. <laughs> and this is a seemingly more difficult run. So if, if we follow the pattern of the season so far, in theory, these are better matchups for Everton. Games where they might not necessarily dominate the ball, where they might be able to strike. You might look at Brighton and think you can pinpoint an aerial weakness that they might be a little bit profligate. I actually think Brighton are the kind of team, by the way, that at some point, given the amount of chances they're creating, they're just going to absolutely thump somebody. Um, and I, I do hope that's not Everton, by the way, but I just think they are, one day it'll click for them. It won't always click for them, but one day all the chances will just go in and they'll win four or five nil. Don't say that, Pat. <laughs> but look, it shouldn't be against Everton, but I think they're a better side than the league table has shown. I, I certainly in possession. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, a lot of it for me just depends on Rodriguez and whether he can stay fit for those final games, whether he can conjure four, five, six, seven moments of quality that turn one point into three or zero points into one. Uh, if they keep him fit, they've got probably a decent chance of doing something. If they don't keep him fit and they don't keep Sigurdsson fit, then then they may well struggle. But that's the reliance. That's the reliance on the the, the top players, isn't it? Particularly particularly Hammers. There are very few Hammers Rodriguez type figures in world football. Um, and if you're not got the man himself, it's it's hard to find anything that's anything other than a pale imitation. Absolutely. Um, last week we also had a mailbag. Thank you again to everybody who contributed to that. With some cracking questions, and we'll finish up on on this. It kind of it didn't make me smile as much as made me certainly got me me researching and got my eyebrow raised. I'm glad to 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 say that before I go into the annual detail, I think I concluded that it's not as much of a problem for Everton. But uh, the cursory tale from Trent D about the mistake on the lake. 
I don't know if you're familiar with it, Paddy, but this was the uh, Cleveland Municipal Stadium, amongst other sides, Cleveland Browns player. Um, the it's now disused and in fact de- demolished. Um, but it, it the, the pictures of it look remarkably similar <laughs> to the <laughs> images see. of Bramley Moor. And the reason it was disused and demolished is because ultimately the weather and the positioning of the stadium just made it, amongst other things, just made it you know untenable. It was just very unpleasant for for fans and it was uh, really, really not weatherproof. And Trent, who's a blue, an American blue, was asking if, if there was any concern with uh, Bramley Moore as well. I mean, the, the, the first thing I noticed, there was, the, there was a huge, or a rather a chunk of the uh, of the municipal stadium, which looked like a C, if you can, the letter C for Cleveland. Uh, so there's obviously a chunk missing. Um, <laughs> and thankfully, Bramley Moore uh, is going to be enclosed. Other than that part... Let's hope we've not made a huge mistake with this iconic water from the location. <laughs> the other the other day, I got out of the car. Um, I live fairly close, not not right next to by any stretch, but I live fairly close to Bramley Moor Dock, certainly within walking distance, and definitely by the River Mersey. And it doesn't matter if elsewhere there's no wind whatsoever; it is always blowing a gale down there. And I'm not messing, I mean, I'm, I'm about six foot two um, and it, the wind nearly blew me off my feet. <laughs> it, was, it was it was ridiculous. It was really, really quite ridiculous. And this was when most of the country, most of the UK was experiencing gale force winds. Mm. Um, what, I, what I would say is, I mean, I'd, certainly if anybody reads the site, they'll know that we've done a lot on Bramley Moor Stadium. And I've, like, we've written about kind of how Everton have... Um, conducted environmental studies with third, third parties, commissioning third parties. They Their amended stadium plans included wind baffles, as they're calling them. It was a first for me, but effectively things to stop the wind getting into, <laughs> <laughs> things to stop the, wind getting into the stadium. Um, it's obviously a, it's a maritime location. Um, it's going to be windy for supporters when they go to the stadium most mm. of the time. Um but Everton have done their research into that and also rising sea levels too. They, the stadium has been built at such a level that they don't envisage, envisage problems there. I think they were saying for 100 years or more. So um, <laughs> I, can see, I can see why Everton fatalism yeah. sets in here. And yeah. was, it, was it Cleveland, did you say, not Cincinnati? Cleveland, yeah. Cleveland, Cleveland Municipal Stadium. Cleveland. I can see why Everton fatalism comes in here. But despite my... Um, horrific tale of the wind earlier. I, I think they probably should be all right in the main at Bramley Moor. It's windy enough at Goodison at times, isn't it? And well, and that's another good point. I only remember, you don't have to look that far back. Just ask Rick Wee, the uh, Everton fan from uh, Southeast Asia, who's from Malaysia, isn't he? Who, who made the trip to uh, watch Everton Crystal Palace, funny enough, back in 2014, only for that game to be uh, abandoned at the last minute because of very, very wind. Ask Gerard, so, ask Gerard Dale Lafay. He'll, he'll, tell, he'll tell you his immortal uh, Twitter post about very, very wind at Goodison. Um, still raises a laugh, doesn't it? Can you imagine how many times, by the way, people, rather silly journalists like me, are going to say things like very, very wind when we get to Bramley Moor, just thinking they're funny and they're really, really not. <laughs> or, or book, bookmark a few of those tweets. I got them saved in draft for the first, <laughs> the first Everton game of Bramley Moor when we yeah. lose 1-0 to whoever, Middlesbrough at home. Um, I'll, be, I'll, I'll have that tweet saved and ready to go. 
<laughs> Indeed. Well, hopefully, at least it's, it's going to hopefully tweet after an emphatic win, uh, not affected too much by the Gale Force wins. And just think how nice it's going to be in April and May, or May uh, and September down there on the waterfront. Well, that's about all we've got time for this week. Thanks for sticking with us. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And um, as we say, there's plenty on the site and on the app to read at the moment. Um, hinted earlier, Paddy's got a fantastic piece about Jean-Philippe Gabamon on the horizon, which is be up in the next couple of days and uh, much more from us next week. Let's hope that we're talking about a much needed win from the, uh, the game at the Amex on Monday. Thank you again for listening. Athletic.